welcome back to Blended. I am once again joined by a new group of inspirational supply chain professionals and DEI professionals who are passionate about people, about social issues in our industry and in the community at large, and who are going to share their insights and experiences with us to help shine a light on the huge topic of right and wrong ways to handle diversity. It's a big one, and to help me tackle it, I'm also joined by my new, very special co-host, Madison Mobley. So welcome to the show, Robert, Jocelyna, Keisha and Gabby, and of course, Madison. Thank you all for joining Madison and I today. So let's get started with some introductions. So I'm going to start with myself. My name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey, founder and host of Let's Talk Supply Chain, as well as CEO of SHIPS. I identify as Caucasian, female, pronouns she and her. Um, I'm also a stepmom to two amazing adult children and uh, fur baby mama to some amazing fur babies in my life as well. So Madison, we're going to go over to you. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify, and then we'll go um, around the circle. Excellent. Hi, I'm Madison. I'm currently the head of belonging, inclusion, and culture at Fair Market, a procurement tech startup. I identify as Black. I'm a woman. I'm a millennial. I also identify as queer. I am team single, no kids, but I do have a dog named Moonlight, who I named after the Oscar winning films soundtrack. Happy to be here. I love that. I didn't even know that about you. I mean, I learn something new every single time we do this. I love that. Yeah, You're keeping me awesome in the dark. And cool. then you. So that's, that's what we're doing over here. And then you it's surprise me. I love it. I love it. Um, Rob, over to you. Why don't you tell us who you are, what you do and how you identify? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm the CEO of Mercado Labs, and I'm a uh, white Caucasian male and identify as he, him. And just a little bit about me. I'm a father of five, a grandfather of eight. So that's a, a big part of my life. I'm also an avowed, unabashed entrepreneur at this point. I've, I've moved over to that side of the fence. And uh, I'm also a furniture builder. So that's just a little bit about me. I love that. The furniture building just gets me every time because it just comes out of nowhere for you, Rob. <laughs> All right. Thanks for thanks for being here. Jocelyna, over to you. Thank you so much, Sarah, and great to be here. I'm Jocelyna Peralta. I identify as a she, her. Um, I'm also team single. Um, I don't have kids. I'm a loving aunt. Um, I, I'm based in New Jersey currently. Um, I'm Latina, I'm half Italian, half Spaniard, and I also consider myself a global citizen since I have lived in Asia, in Latin America, in Europe, and you name it. So I actually have had the good fortune to live um, in a lot of places, which is quite educational and helpful to broaden your perspective. I love to cook. And I also um, love to, to paint. So not many people know that about me. I'm very whimsical. So I kind of combine my structure approach in business to the creative side. And I will probably make jokes in so many languages, although I'm, I like to think that I'm funnier in Spanish. <laughs> and when I fall down, I will be the first one to, to really laugh my butt off. So that's just a little bit about me. I love that. So um, Jocelyna was supposed to be on an episode of Blended a couple of months ago, but now we've got her on the show. So super, super excited about that. Keisha. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. 
a little bit about me. I am a wife, first and foremost, married to the love of my life. My eyes are closed as I'm saying this. Love him so much. I'm also a mom of three girls. My oldest girl is 24 years old. She'll be 25. I don't know how she's that old because I am hardly that age. <laughs> also a podcast host, national diversity inclusion leader. I love, love, love all things connecting. I'm also an author of my first book, Networking, It's Your Superpower. I love people been in the space of diversity it was the space of recruitment for a little bit over 20 years and i've always had the idea that every table needs to be diverse everything that we do needs to incorporate diversity of thought i see myself i don't see myself i am she her <laughs> the way that i recognize myself in the way that I like to be approached. That's a little bit about me. Awesome. I love that. So you and I met on Clubhouse. You might, you, <laughs> Madison and myself met on Clubhouse and our relationship has kind of snowballed since our Sunday brunches that started in what, December, I think it was. The PTR brunch. Yes. That's it was right. so bomb. <laughs> so excited to have you here. Gabby, last but absolutely not least. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Gabby Zuniga and uh, my pronouns are she, her. My main identity is being a mother. I'm a mother to two little girls, a 21 month old and a nine, a nine year old. Uh, I'm also just launched my own uh, business. So I'm now uh, moved over to the entrepreneurial side. Uh, I do DNI work for my clients. I also teach a course actually at one of the universities here in Ontario at Queen's University around uh, EDI work. And I'm married to uh, a Japanese guy. So we have, you know, quite the uh, intercultural uh, home family. Um, Given that I have these two little girls, I have no time for writing books, for cooking, or for making <laughs> furniture. Uh, really, uh, my, my, my time, when I do have any time for myself, is really spent, you know, reading a book. I know that sounds quite boring, but that's all I can manage right now with, uh, with the way my life is. No, I love that. I love that. And you and I were put in touch uh, by Lori, Lori Benson, and uh, she's quite the advocate of DEI. And I hope to have her on the show in a little while as well, but super excited to have you here. All right. So we're talking about the right and wrong ways to handle diversity. I mean, this is an issue that's organically been raised during the course of our conversations in pretty much every episode, people have a lot to say about this, so we thought it deserved a show of its own. But before we dive into the more serious part of the discussion, where we get our critical thinking hats on and do our best to generate some ideas for, you know, tangible change, why don't we get some stuff off our chest? Shall we share some stories of the absolute wrong ways to handle diversity? Let's set the scene with the kinds of challenges we're still facing in this area. Let's have a little bit of a rant, and then we'll get into some of the serious stuff and really talk about how we can make an impact and how we can change the way we're having the conversations or what's happening. So what have you guys seen? Who wants to start? Keisha, do you want to start us off with this one? Absolutely. My goodness. So specifically, there's a situation that I remember that is, it's kind of the pinnacle experience, I say, because it really helped me get so engulfed in all of the things, DE&I, but really to understand the value of people. 
I was working in an organization and we had hired some new folks in and me being at the organization longer, you know, I'm walking, showing the individuals the ropes. There had been another individual who we hired that was almost like a rift in our team. That individual came through with a lot of just energy that was really off from the team. Well, one of the individuals on the team, a woman of color came forth and she expressed some of the things that she felt. I had felt the same things, but I hadn't spoken up because I figured, well, maybe no one else is experiencing it. My skin's a little bit thicker. The moment that I then spoke up after the other things had happened, took it to our CEO, sat down with her, and she clearly didn't hear a word any of us said. Instantly, she said, well, no, she's not like that. Well, no, this, is, this isn't her. She's this, she's... All these different things happen in the midst of us really expressing our take on what we felt, just the difference in how she treated us as women of color, the tone, the way that she spoke. And lo and behold, we get into the space where we all had an opportunity to come to the table together, which is the best. I say, get everybody in the room. So we get in the room and instantly the tears, you guys know these tears I'm speaking of, the tears came and we left the space. The only thing I remember was her saying that I made her cry. I was so mean. I was this, I was disrespectful. When all, the only thing that I really did at that point was really express what I felt, right? Mm -hmm. The way that I felt that she spoke to me and she brought in other people to vouch that she wasn't this person that spoke like this. And I said, I understand all of those things that you're saying. This is what I feel. And this is what so-and-so felt in relation to the conversations, the way that you speak to women of color, you minimize, you take our ideas and run with them. And it's the same exact thing that we said, but somehow you finagled it and turned it into something else and took that thing and run with it. Well, year, not even years, a few months after this, the situation just kept snowballing. Then there will be more women that came, women of color coming to the table to say, this is what we felt, this is what we felt. I don't think the CEO even got it. I really don't mm. think she got it because the one thing that I recognize is she was an ally with her white counterpart, mm. bottom line. She couldn't even fathom what we were speaking of and just really minimize it. But what happened ultimately is I left. The other woman who also felt demeaned as well, she left. And I had an opportunity after we both left to go and sit down with the CEO and just really talk to those things. And then some other men that worked in the other organization as well, men of color had expressed the same things, but I had no idea that they were expressing the same things about mm. this same employee. But again, getting to the point of the relationship, I think that that's the biggest piece when there's not a relationship with individuals, it causes all sorts of things to happen, right? Because the woman who was the leader, white woman, didn't have a relationship with us. She didn't know us. She didn't know our skills. She didn't know all the things that we've done. She came in and I think she had this mindset of really needing to just show that she was the boss and, you know, that she was in control and she was in charge. And instead, it really just made a toxic environment for everyone that was involved yeah. without even her getting into kind of get to know people. She kind of came in with the spirit of, I'm going to show you guys that I'm the boss. I'm changing this. I'm doing this. And it really just created a hostile work environment for everybody yeah. at the same time. It was 
this is a rant, you guys. This that was one of those times where I was like, you know what? I'm so thankful that it happened because it really gave me a different perspective. And I hadn't received any treatment like that in any other portion of my career. So I didn't know what to expect when people were saying they've had they've dealt with things like this. But because I was green in that area, I hadn't experienced it. But because I have that experience under my belt now, I can kind of really just mediate those relationships, those conversations, and really be a voice for everybody involved versus me being on that side where I was receiving, receiving, receiving. Yeah. And I know that it's not a, it's not a comfortable space. It didn't feel good. Yeah. I can put myself in those shoes of people that have said, this is what's happening. Yeah. Well, and this is, thank you for sharing that. Cause this is one of the reasons why we create the space is to be able to talk about these instances, because the oh only way gosh. we're going to learn and the only way we're going to be able to move forward is to really get uncomfortable and listen to perspectives and listen to stories like this. And, you know, one thing that came to mind when you were talking about that is leave the ego at the door. When we're talking Woo! about DEI and we're talking about feelings and we're talking about how people are feeling about something, that ego's got to you know, stay at the door because we Minimize need to open it. up and we need to be able to, to hear, but we're going to, we're going to talk about solutions later. Um, one story that I'm going to bring to the table is I was talking to somebody and they were always the only woman in the room and they were always asked to go and make or get the tea and coffee. That's oh. not a huge story here. But it's something I think that a lot of us, sorry, Rob, can relate to on this, this episode is because it happened to me so many times. Oh, Sarah, go get the water. Oh, Sarah, you, we need some glasses with water. Mm -hmm. Oh, Sarah, we need tea for the thing. Oh, you need to go get donuts and make sure everybody's fed at the boardroom table. Like, why did it have to be me? <laughs> you know, and why are we asking the only female in the room? Sorry, does anybody else have a, a story they want to contribute? Joselina? jump in and relate to that. And, and that kind of reminds me of stereotypical assumptions that people will make, right? So because sometimes we come, so for example, what I lived through as a Latina woman, right? So, and people don't expect me to be punctual. They're always surprised when I'm five minutes or 10 minutes, which is my norm to be early because I, I'm from the Caribbean. I grew up part of my life in the Caribbean. So I'm expected to come late. To, to actually be laid back. And I thought, well, why makes you believe that? The other thing is that I talk a lot with my hands and a lot of people, so it goes back to what organizations, um, why are they not getting it right, right? And if you think about it, it's about the fit, right? So make individuals to actually fit with a certain organizational design. But guess what? If you actually work with people with whom they are, right, with the unique value that they bring to the table, they don't have to fit. The minute that you want people to fit, you're excluding who doesn't fit into what cookie, you know, mold you're actually trying to create. And then I started to think, as you were saying that, instead of actually people allowing for, you know, flying of the hands, whatever you want to do to express, why does that bother some people? Why you have to actually conform? Who says that in order to be more eloquent or more articulate, you have to talk without moving your hands? I mean, that's nonsense. Um, and then the last comment there with fitability, right? 
um, which is which is not only organizations. I mean, the academia is actually designed to have students to fit, right? Um, kids, they have to kind of conform to certain things. Employees, the government, right? Um, and yet, when you, we look at history, most of the amazing accomplishments and you know groundbreaking work has been done by people who don't fit the stereotype, right? So you look at Mother Teresa, you look at Einstein, Da Vinci, right? They were deemed crazy in their time. They were actually deemed that they were the oddball. And yet they did amazing things. So my point is, I think organizations, they started this with good intentions. And good intentions also is the way, you know, paved to, you know, go where, right? <laughs> but at the same time, the policies were put in place to ensure compliance. Right, so the main objective at the beginning, it was, okay, we're gonna create a mission. It's gonna be a glossy one. It's gonna be very detailed, right? We're gonna do this with compliance. And then in practice, that kind of went out of the window because they wanted an environment that fit. They fit the majority. And then whoever didn't fit that environment, guess what? Needed to move on. Instead, we should work with people with who they are, what they have to offer and actually value that because data is very specific. 30%, 40% of teams that they're actually combined by diverse people, they outperform teams that homogeneous teams. So yeah. the data is already value telling, but people for whatever reason are uncomfortable with what doesn't look familiar or normal. Right. And, and that's why when you were saying that, it popped into my head that Every time I still even get it today when I go for meetings for supply chain or I'm heading a meeting that whenever I'm, I always like to go five, 10 minutes early. That's how my parents even raised me. And, oh, so you came early. So, and everybody's always shocked by that because I'm from the Caribbean. I needed to be, you know, coming late with a coconut water with a little bit, you know, umbrella somehow. And I to actually... That would be amazing, by the way, just so you know. If you showed up with the coconut, with the coconut water and a little umbrella, people would be like, where is mine? Look at my coconut water from Taylor yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think the other thing that I can contribute there is always being asked to take the notes of the meeting. Oh, that frustrates me so bad. That is the wrong way. <laughs> to handle DEI. And thank you so much, Jocelyna. Gabby or Rob, do you have a quick story that you want to uh, share with us on the wrong ways or what you've seen as the, maybe the wrong ways? Yeah, I, I'll go it, just in terms of things that I've learned, it, it just lessons learned. So early on in my career, I was fortunate enough to have been part of a, a one of a, the first diversity trainings at a company called APL. And we spent two days and doing things like this, kind of unpacking sort of all the things that we thought we were diverse and inclusive of and telling stories and putting ourselves in an uncomfortable situation to realize we weren't. And the, the big takeaway for me there was the instructor saying that most of that is born either out of ignorance or fear. And you need to overcome both. And so you got to become not ignorant and you got to become less fearful because that's a lot of times what creates that bias and biggest bigotry. So that was sort of a good lesson learned, but it was a hard lesson because there was a couple, somebody mentioned tears that there was a couple of people thinking that they were pretty open-minded and, and kind of being challenged and finding out that they were less than. Then the other thing is it taught me to hire a sort of different to hire as a strong word to, to, to get coaches in certain environments. So when I was at FedEx, one of the things that I did is I asked the director of HR if he could just observe me in meetings 
to see if I was ever displaying anything that that uh, seemed out of character for me. And oddly enough, he came out of a, a couple of big meetings and he said, I don't know if you realize this, but whenever you're speaking to a male, you always address them by their first name. And when you're speaking to a female, you don't. And I had no idea I was doing that. I had absolutely, I said, no, that's not right. He said, listen, I, I wouldn't have said this to you if I just caught it offhandedly. I've been to three meetings with you and you've done it every single time. Now, I still don't know why I did that, but clearly I had some kind of uh, unconscious bias there or some kind of way that, that, that I was separating things. But having that person next to me to point that out and not, a lot of other embarrassing things, I'll just give you that example because it comes to mind, is also, was also a really helpful tool for me to, to be able to... Um, have somebody see what I couldn't see. So just a couple of things in terms of all of the things that we're hearing as stories, um, the ability to address them is just becoming more self-aware and, be, and getting a coach that can help you become aware because you can't yeah. always see it for yourself. Yeah. And I think the, the amazing point from that is that you don't always know if you're handling it the wrong way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, and thanks for saying this, sir, because I think that's the broader point for me is I, I sort of pride myself on that. And so mm -hmm. when I didn't do it, I, I didn't, I, I know in my head and my, my conscious head, I didn't do that intentionally, but I did it. Yeah. So I think you got to be careful on both fronts that even if you think that you're, you're fairly um, open-minded to lots of different situations, oftentimes because we haven't been in that situation or we're fearful or we're ignorant about the other person, like in Jocelyn's story where people are, sort of culturally stereotyping and, and not and thinking they were being funny maybe, but certainly being insensitive. I think it's helpful when you can find somebody else to help you out to make, yeah. to point out those things in you and then you can work harder to get better. So true. I love that. Gabby, did you have something that you wanted to contribute? Yeah, maybe taking more of a macro view on it and not so much at the individual level, just people that I've worked with that have been trying to do this work in organizations. I think one of the things that sometimes comes across as wrong, me being a practitioner and trying to help them down this journey for their organization and for themselves is this, this idea that they already understand all of the issues, right? And really having a lot of blind spots around these issues and not recognizing that they themselves need to go on a learning journey, right? So jumping to solutions without ever speaking to someone who has experienced something. You know, I often see that people have really great intentions. They want to do the right thing. They are good people. I know that they are. But before jumping to solving some of these problems, they haven't done any um, personal development around what is the experience of someone that is black, right? Like what are they actually experiencing? And so I think I see that often happening, um, which I think, you know, it, it's difficult to have that conversation with a leader who already knows things they know it all. So, you know, where they don't think that they've got a lot to learn, uh, where they think they understand the issues. So I, I th that sometimes frustrates me and I, I find that a, a real challenge, um, you know, of good people, but that that there's a barrier there on empathy, learning from others, listening to them without um, trying to justify what why the situation happened. 
Oh, I love that, Gabby, because one of the things I was thinking about in terms of the absolute wrong way to do diversity, one thing would be, I think it's inappropriate to ask the person of color in the room to own DEI for the company, right? And so I started thinking about that when you were speaking because yes, leaders should absolutely be accountable for their learning, but there's also a component of giving people the benefit of the doubt um, before jumping to certain conclusions as well and in, in how we have conversation. And Jocelyn, when you were speaking, it's interesting. I was on my soapbox last week about how we're so conditioned to think that certain dimensions of diversity have to show up a certain way. And I think that creates some of the blind spots that we have and the biases that we still need to unpack because we all have it. Um, but it, it's interesting just listening to, to you all speak. Um, it, it brought me back to certain spaces in my career where you know we're all working through this stuff, I think. Um, and it kind of begs the question because right, wrong or indifferent, I think one way that companies are tackling diversity in this DEI journey is to set targets in place, to say, you know, we need X number of Black people at the organization, X number of folks that represent the LGBTQI plus community, et cetera. And this was a subject that we talked about um, episode seven, I believe, of this series. And so while there isn't a clear answer to this one, I'm interested in you all's feedback on whether or not target setting advances an organization's path to a more diverse tomorrow or if it commoditizes already marginalized groups. Um, Keisha, let's start with you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Listen, that question is, and you know, it, it's t in my thought of thoughts, I would say, I think it, it, it does an injustice to people if you say that there has to be a certain number of people within an organization, because are you really taking the time to really build those people up? And what we're seeing is people are coming, these companies are coming out to say there needs to be a certain number of people, but are they really building up these people that they're getting in mass droves? And if they're not, they're only doing the company a disservice and they're doing people an even more disservice than we started off with. I say, here's the thing. When you look at your leadership team, you look at each hierarchy, each level, right? At each level, you want to see representation, period. No, nothing else behind it. You want to see representation. And as we look at things from that mindset and say, okay, there's not diversity of thought in this space, period. And when we look at it and say, there's no diversity of thought, well, what are we going to do to now move forward so that we can get this thing together? Mm -hmm. But not really saying, there has to be a specific number or a specific target. And that's my perspective. And I've spoken with so many organizations who have done it both ways. And what I see is the greater outcome comes from saying we need to diversify, not specifically saying we need a certain number or a certain head. Or To me, that's just, it, it takes it into a whole nother different conversation. So I would say just making sure that there's a diversity of thought mm -hmm. is 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 my overall answer. There's so much to unpack with that. But I'm staying right in this lane. Do you see me in this lane with that? <laughs> okay, Gabby, what about what about you? So 
I think it's a very, um, it's, it's complicated. So I think diversity, this conversation is about equity, diversity and inclusion, right? And in order to get inclusion, you need diversity. Right? So we talk about equity, uh, sorry, diversity and inclusion as being almost two sides of the same coin. So in order for, a, in order for organizations to actually um, get the benefits of having a diverse or, uh, group of folks, they need that inclusion piece. And in order for organizations to get there, there needs to be goals, maybe not hard targets. I don't believe in hard targets, but you need, you need to know one, why are you doing this? Why are you getting on this DNI journey? What does it look like right now? Who actually works there? What is the makeup of that organization in that town, in that city? And does it represent the community in which you're, um, you're doing business? You need to, to know this um, so that you can actually set some, tar some goals. Again, I, I, I shy away from using targets, but set some goals so that you have um, a path that you're working towards. Otherwise, it, it does like you're not doing diversity and equity work. This work is very purposeful. Um, it's fair, it's a lot of work and it takes years and years to do this. And you need to know where you're starting from and you need to know where you wanna get to. And that is through knowing the numbers, setting whether they're soft goals, uh, something to ground um, the diversity piece. And then comes the hard work. I actually think diversity is the easy piece, is getting that diversity is not as difficult as, as organizations sometimes talk about it being so difficult. I think they're just, they're going back to the same well, they're going back and doing the same thing, trying to look for something different. Um, but it's really that, that inclusion piece where all of this comes together and it works. And that's the hard, that's the really hard piece. And, and, but you need that diversity. Oh, it's complicated. And then, you know, establishing that baseline at any given point, let's call it, I do think better informs whether or not we're doing a good job at retaining folk, because uh, there are a lot of organizations that are very good at finding all the diverse people, but fast forward a year from now, and none of them are still at the company waving the, the flag, right? And so that's a piece of this equation too. And how strong is the culture that enables diverse employees to bring, you know, their full self to work, let's call it, or whatever, whatever the terminology is. Jocelyn or, or, or Rob, anything from either of you on this one? Yes, yes and yes. So a couple of things. It is a multi-layer complex situation. I, I will probably echo some of the things that Gabby said, but I also wanted to expand a little bit another way to look at it. So if we look at it from a terms of compliance and commitment, right? So if we put those lenses on. So yes, goals, they definitely, you know, signify that there is compliance, right? So we're actually looking to strive for compliance as a company. But that doesn't necessarily ensure commitment, right? So, and when we think about a company, I think a lot, of, a lot of oftentimes, right? Organizations they're very quick to set targets, but then something that Gabby said is strong, strong chord with me. So let's take a step back, and I think Isha mentioned something similar. So why are we as a company really? What what kind of a legacy do we want our company to be? What is our mission? What is our purpose, right? And then the employee experience. I think the problem has been 
same as we have shifted to focus on customer experience, there hasn't been enough emphasis on employee experience. And that's what we've actually been talking a little bit about, right? So your experience is not the same as mine. And in fact, trying to predetermine that is it's excluding people. And putting targets to actually have, yes, it will boost the numbers. It will show that we're compliant as an organization, but does not signify commitment. Commitment actually is not, and there's another gross mistake that companies do make that they think is a job of HR or is the job for the chief, you know, um, diversity officer, whatever, you know, they, they, they put those, those roles now. It doesn't, it's actually not their job. It's everybody who's a leader in the company. And in fact, I will even cascade it even down. It's everybody who's a member of the company, period. So the company is an ecosystem, right? So everybody has to be an active participant in that ecosystem. So if my views are not represented and then there's not a safe space created, that's another problem also. The companies have to work in making the space safe for people to voice out, hey, we were in a meeting and I didn't get the chance to actually speak. Did the leader who was actually organizing that meeting took a note of that? And by the way, if at the end of the meeting I go and I speak up and I said, hey, next time I will have to have some airtime, would that be something that it will be well received or would I actually have a negative connotation, meaning a punitive effect? So I, I do think that it's everybody who is in a position of leadership, but also anybody who's empowered by the organization that they have to be able to speak up. And then there has to be this mindset that conversations have to happen. And if we are not, if the feedback that we're receiving does not match what we're actually seeing, meaning that somebody says, hey, uh, you know, I've been excluded, I've been passed over, I have not actually been considered for this opportunity for this promotion or for this, you know, opportunity to lead this project. Right, and then instead of actually being defensive, which is something that Rob mentioned earlier, fear actually narrows our point of view. People, when they actually feel that they're being attacked, whether if it's a value or belief, right? So automatically you shut down and you narrow your point of view and you're not listening and you go automatically to the stereotypical responses, right? So, and I think it's important to, to recognize that and to make sure that when, before we jump into creating targets, because it's going to assure compliance, is why are we doing those targets in the first place? What kind of a company are we? What kind of a legacy do we want to leave behind? And, and once we actually are clear with those first and foremost you know, purpose and principles, then we say, okay, we actually have to look at the people that already is in that organization and do they have the right opportunities? Do they have actually mentoring? Do they have a, you know, a career path? Do they actually have active participation in, in meetings and initiatives that actually will build their development? And if not, what are we going to do about them, right? And then the second part is that when we actually look at employee experience, is from recruiting, onboarding, development, performance appraisal, right? So the pipeline for succession and planning and everything in between. So it's not just pieces that we're actually going to pick and choose. And those are the ones that we're going to do. And sorry that that was a mouthful, but, but in reality, I do think that targets alone does not signify commitment. Everybody has to make a pledge and say what it matters to them. Because if we're not nurturing those organizations, to your earlier point, people are going to leave. Mm. 
I'm I'm in that I'm in that that's that mindset. Um, if if I had to simplify, it's targets are are helpful directionally, but we can't sacrifice the humanity of it all that's required to manage the end-to-end -end life cycle of 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 an employee, right? Because we're people. <laughs> it, it that that's just simply put, um, the way I see it. Rob, what about you? Anything to add here? Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I have a lot to add, actually. This has been a super interesting conversation and a, and a really um, both perspectives where we started with Keisha saying we don't want to have targets. And then we kind of went around the room and said, you know, where there is value to targets. I, I, I just want to complicate this just a little bit before I try to simplify it from my perspective. We're talking about corporations as though they're a monolith or businesses as though they're a monolith. And there's all different types of businesses. And so you're talking about a business that's long established, long traditions that has to be retrofitted. It's a completely different set of challenges than a company like mine who has the chance to start from scratch and I can do whatever I want to do, right? I can build whatever kind of company I want to build. So in that spectrum is huge. And in terms of how you manage it, it's huge. So I can speak from, from both. I've worked for some really big companies and worked from some small companies. And, you know, some companies really just get it right. And then they're tweaking and some companies are so wrong. It's going to take them to somebody's point decades to fix all the damages that they've done. So in our company, I'll just speak to that. We we kind of looked at diversity, cultural diversity at least, as something to be celebrated. So that was foundational. And then that was core to our mission and core to our values. So from the jump, when we thought about hiring everybody, we wanted to have everybody to be as diverse as we possibly could, but not for any other reason. It wasn't a target reason other than we saw it as a benefit to our business because we knew that the more diverse organization was, the better the perspectives would be the different kinds of creativity we would get, the different kinds of businesses that we could build. And so we just looked at it as a business benefit. So fundamentally that was core to our values. But on the other hand, I wanna to speak to something that, that we talk about relative to diversity, because somebody said diversity of thought, that's certainly one kind of diversity, but we celebrate diversity of all kinds. So we'll say we celebrate diversity of different um, age groups, different ethnicities, different religions, different experiences and backgrounds. And so that's really important to me too, that when I'm putting together a team, it's a mix of any, you know, any type of person doesn't really matter. I'm looking at sort of that chemistry and what they can bring to that table to make us all better as a team. So that's just something else to think about as you're thinking about diversity. And then the last thing I would say is just from a practical standpoint, beyond where you're at in terms of the company and spectrum is I've struggled, even though I've founded a company based on this notion, I've struggled a lot with if I want to get the right diverse organization, do I have that opportunity? And that sounds silly, but it depends on what type of position I'm hiring for. It depends on what type of marketing that market that I'm hiring in as to whether or not I have the opportunities. So one, one small example is, you know, I have an engineering group in Austin, Texas. My ability to find diversity in engineering people is so limited. We, we purposely tell a recruiter, we're looking for diversity, we want to see diverse candidates, but the population of people that um, show up for it tend to be highly predominant white males. So how much diversity do you get? Conversely, when I worked at FedEx, we, uh, we were headquartered in Memphis, and so we had a large pool, a large population of people of color because the, uh, the makeup of the city was 52% people of color, and so we could get diversity ethnicity uh, easily because we had the opportunity in other places that I've worked, we didn't have that opportunity. And so it just it's a super complicated issue to your point, but I would just still stick with the mantra of it. It should be a core value of every company 
And then to all the points that have been around the table, how you get there is, is as much art as it is science, but it should never not be the goal. We should always be have a goal to be diverse and we should work the hardest to make it the most diverse organization we can within the confines of what we're given. So in my case, I was given a fresh start and I started it foundationally that way. But even with that, I still face some challenges in terms of what's available. That's such a great point. And each of you bring incredible insight to the conversation. And, and I like the fact that we transitioned from the word target to goals. Um, I'm not going to name any names here, but there was a large retail brand last year that came out and said that they were going to hire a certain amount of Latinos and a certain amount of people of color. And so that was one of the scenarios of, and the reason why we need to talk about this more because for them coming out publicly and specifically stating, this is what we're going to do was what they thought was right. But the, but in actual fact, a lot of the community that they were talking about doesn't necessarily agree with what they had come out with publicly. And so there's a large disconnect right? Between what organizations, what people think are the right ways of, of doing things versus the, the people in the communities that they are trying to potentially serve, not actually agreeing with what they are doing. And so that's why this is so important. And one of the things that I liked that Jocelyna said was the commitment, right? And something that Madison and I have talked a lot about is if we're going to have diversity in our organization, what does that look like when it comes down to holidays, because right now we all celebrate or a lot of the organizations celebrate the typical holidays, the traditional holidays that have been around for years. And yet we want a diverse organization that celebrates different holidays in different fashions on different days for different reasons. And so when we talk about a commitment, you know, when, when we're thinking about having a diverse organization, that is, I think, also one of the most important transition points for us to be able to make a commitment to our people um, and really be able to look at them holistically and find out who it is that they are, what they celebrate, when they want to celebrate, and being able to have that flexibility. So that was one thing that, you know, I just wanted to, to bring to the table. But, you know, what also comes up a lot, you know, when it comes to talking about targets or goals as a unit, unit of measurement is the phrase box ticking. Ooh, I don't know about you, but that's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Um, but I think, you know, it, I think that what it means to people is that it shows a misalignment between what a company is saying and what they're actually doing, which is what I was just talking about, or maybe between the basics of what they're doing, like just hiring a woman and the belief system that's sitting behind that. So what are some of the practical ways that we can make sure that these goals, agendas, company missions, whatever it might be, are actually working effectively and intentionally? Right. I like the word that Gabby used earlier of purposeful, positive, changed intention, mindset, you know, uh, purpose. 
that is what is going to be some of the key drivers into actually making an impact and making impactful change. So, you know, what, what is it that we can do? What is it that organizations can do? What are some of the tangible things that we can do? Something was mentioned earlier about having a safe space. It's one of the reasons why we created Blended was to create a safe space to have these conversations so that people can learn from them and take them into their organizations. What else can we do? How can organizations organizations help their um, team members, their employees to feel heard, you know, and, and does company culture have a huge, huge role in that? Jocelyna? I will say culture is really the key, right? Or at least it should be a, a, a key focus area, right? So when you look at a company culture, so tying back to what you're saying and what Gabby and even Rob, where he was saying, right? So foundationally, so what kind of a company are we? What is our mission? What is our purpose? And are we creating a communication channel where it's at all levels, right? So, and I think even Keisha said, what kind of a representation do we have, right? So when you're looking at one thing that maybe not directly to the company, but talking about different industries, right? So different industries also are different levels and stages where women in tech, for example, or women in manufacturing, right? So you don't see that many. And, and I think we have to help to incentivize with interns or internships, right? So even going to the universities to actually speak and kind of promote that, you know, by the way, we're having a gap of certain people from certain ethnicities, gender type of diversities in those types of careers, because for many years, it was not encouraged, right? So, and, and a lot of people, they didn't even think it was a possibility. So we have to talk in terms of possibility opposed to, you know, challenges, right? And, and I like my, my all time favorite is, is making a pledge. So one of the things that I love and I, and, I, and I leave that in action, right? So all of the teams that I have had throughout my career, 22 years between, you know, consumer goods, pharmaceuticals and chemicals and chemicals is actually not known for having a lot of diversity, right? But, but every leader has a choice to make, even if the company it's a little bit slower in, in picking that up, right? And, and I will say making that pledge, right? So when you're working with assembling a team, you have an ability to enact, to say, okay, I, I would like to have a diverse team because Number one, you get better results. Number two, you actually have a more comprehensive view of the world, just, just simply that. And, and at the same time, you wanna actually um, lead by example, right? Other people will actually take note and see. And the last thing that I will say, it's focus on the, on the employee experience. I think there has to be more open dialogue. When town halls are taking place, and, and companies do a lot of colleague survey, right? But a lot of that information is not designed to ask questions about what is your experience as an employee? Do you feel that you have a career path? Do you feel that your interests are being represented and heard? Do you feel that people are working with who you are to actually develop you where you are and who you are? And we have to really throw the fit away, right? The minute that we want people to conform with something, we're taking away their individuality, their uniqueness, their value. 
And we have to get comfortable also with eliminating, and I think every leader has to work on that. I mean, myself included, everybody, with eliminating the stereotypes. We all have stereotypes from the from where we went, you know, when we were actually growing up, the environments, right? So the, the, the pass on biases, even from our parents, what we watch on TV, the music that we listen to, God, God knows we have so many. So recognizing that and expecting that I could rap, right? I could rap and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm appropriating anything. I could actually be an excellent rapper, right? <laughs> and that shouldn't take people by surprise or vice versa. Somebody else could dance the tango perfectly and that doesn't mean anything. So I think we have to get comfortable to expect the unexpected and not having this predetermined view of what we think the, think, the, the things should be. And the last two things, and I promise that will be the last two things, to design also organizations for, for example, left-handed people. I'm ambidextrous, right? And I had to really learn to do it with the right because growing up, there was not really that much accommodation for left-handed people. Even companies, they still don't do that. There's more ergonomics now, but in reality, the world is not designed when you don't fit the certain you know, standard. And, and I think organizations have to be more cognizant and more intentional that, okay, so we need to make arrangements for the people that maybe don't fit a certain standard so then they can thrive. I think we need to focus on thrive and possibility. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think that that was great. One of the questions that I have for you though is around the wording, because the question that I had is around policy. So you've said the word pledge, I've heard the word policy, like a lot of organizations use the word policy around DEI. I think that that is a horrible word to, to use around diversity and inclusion. So just something to throw out there, like what words can we use in the organization to really drive commitment and be intentional about inclusion? Because policy to me is an extremely horrible word for all of this. Keisha? I, I, I see you nodding your head. I know you want to jump in here. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you know what? So when I think of the word policy, the only way that I think that the word policy is comfortable for me is when organizations are looking at their policies from a lens to make sure that they are diverse. Because I think as you look at from a space of the policy, when if the policies are not ingrained, if diversity, equity, and inclusion is not ingrained into the policy, we're repeating the same cycle. Lots of the things that are happening are based up on these policies. People show up and it's okay for them to not have diverse hiring teams, to not have diverse teams because it, there's no policy written to say that until companies are held accountable in the spaces of really looking at the word policy from a perspective of what are the policies on hiring? What are the policies on getting rid of people, promoting people? What are the policies around that? So when I think policy, I don't think of it from that perspective. I, I switch it up and I take it to looking at those policies that are written to really move the team forward and making sure that everything that we do is ingrained starting from the policies. Because when you go policy up, now you're holding people not only accountable, but you're creating an equitable foundation 
You're going to get to develop talent because it's written in the policy, right? Everything's set up in that place where it's written in. You're operating from the DEI lens and everything that you do. And then as you do that, starting to build out what we're looking at is diversity councils where every single team, every single market have councils where we're all coming to the table to make sure again that DEI is ingrained in everything that we do and remove the word program because it's not a program. My gosh, yeah. it's not a program. I keep hearing that. Pro too. Program's even more, more <laughs> worse word. I'm just, I, I guess I'm also going by the fact that, you know, if we're going to live diversity and inclusion and just that word inclusion, right? I, we need to, and we're, what we're talking about today is empowerment. Yes. Right. We want to empower each other. We want to empower leadership. We want to empower the teams. We want to empower people to have conversations. And to me, you know, even from the first episode we did of blended, which was what is in a word, it stuck with me because every single word that we're using in the conversations and how we're structuring what we're doing in DEI has to come from a place, or I think has to come from a place of empowerment. And it really, boils down to the words that we're using to be able to get that buy-in, to be able to get that commitment that Jessalina was talking about. You know what I mean? And so policy to me is a very, very um, institutional very. word. Programs is an institu institutional word. Pledge equals empowerment. Yes. Right? Words like this, these words are extremely important about what we're using and how we're creating that. Gabby, what are you telling your clients? How are you, how are you, um, structuring or having that conversation about what they need to be doing in their organizations around DEI? Yeah. So it's interesting. I think a lot of clients are coming to me because they're feeling the pressure, right? Like right now there's a lot going on in the world, right? Since last year, right? May, 2020, it was huge, right? Um, and this has set off um, an, a, a, re, a renewed conversation around race and injustice and systemic discrimination in the workplace. So people right now, I, I feel like we're, organizations have been on this journey and have been talking about DNI for a long time. Many, many haven't, but many have. This is nothing new. But with the state of the world as it is today, we I think there's a really great opportunity to actually um, propel change and, and move us further along than we have been. Because if you talk to a lot of people doing DNI work, there's, you know, diversity and inclusion fatigue. A lot of people prior to, to today, to this past year, have been working on this for, for a long time and have not seen the progress. When you think about just women in the workplace, right? Like there's more uh, women that graduate from universities in, in law and in accounting than men, but you're not seeing them reach you know, the, the powerful echelons of those, um, of those professions. So when I talk to my clients, you know, I, I try and really get to, you know, I, I'm trying to seize the moment so that we do move them along, but I really like to get to like, what, it, why, why do you want to do this? And how does it, 
How does this tie into your strategic plan at your organization? How do we tie this into the values of your organization so that it, it is sustainable long-term and it isn't just a check the box? And I love frameworks because this is so complicated. And I keep saying that and it shouldn't be, but it is, it's very complicated because I think we all want it to be easy and to just take a box, hire a few minority people, hire a few women, right? Like I think there's people that actually think that, but it's very complicated because it's a huge, it's either a change management or transformational change within the organization. So I love frameworks. So I like to, you know, after I work with people to figure out why, why does this make sense for your organization? How can we um, tie this into um, your customer, to, you know, to your mission, to your values? Um, I like to look at it kind of in, in, a, in three pieces. So internally, we're gonna, and I'm only talking internally because there's also an external uh, piece to this with supply chain and, and all of that. But at the personal level, how do we get people to uh, understand where their biases and their prejudices come from, how they think about some of these things? So let's work on people at the individual level. Let's try and move them along. Then let's look at it at the interpersonal level. How are people interacting in your organizations? How can we support them to be, um, for those interactions, to be more fruitful, to, to be um, better? And then let's look at it at the organizational level. From the policies, the systems, how, what is that organization's um, systems? How, do that, how does that support DNI? Um, cause otherwise it's, it's so big and you can go down different parts of it. And this is a big system and it's all interconnected. And I think it needs to be viewed, viewed in that way. So that's what, you know, I think I talk to, you know, that's what I talk to my clients about. That's what I talk to everyone about, about just figuring out why you want to get on this journey, either as an organization or personally tie it back to that. And then, then that will in itself open up a roadmap of which actions you need to be taking. Yeah, and I think one key element too is around understanding. So it's not just about creating those spaces so that everybody can have a conversation and understand each other better. I think it's also about creating space for resource. Because a lot of what we've heard in the last year is, I don't want you to just come to me and ask questions. I want you to lean in to understand what me as a race or you as a race potentially has gone through, right? And so I think resources are really important and for an organization to provide those resources and be able to encourage them to listen to maybe shows like this, maybe the Woman in Supply Chain series that we've done before, you know, read about Juneteenth right? And what does that mean? You know, watch shows like CJ Walker. I don't know if any of you know that, but I've, I've watched, I've watched it on Netflix. It's so good. Uh, but watch something like CJ Walker, learn about Asian, what's going on in the Asian culture right now. You know, there's so many things that we can learn about and that we can lean in to understand that I think, as an organization pushing those resources, providing resources, not just asking your teams to just go out and find resources, being a, a, a resource of value 
for them to really lean in to understand as well. Rob, do you have something quick to throw in here? Um, maybe around resources yeah. before I go to Madison? Um, not resources specifically. I think I just building off of what Gabby is talking about in terms of the framework, the, the two companies that I've experienced that did it best had just a really great framework from a cultural standpoint from the jump that drove everything else. And I just want to speak to FedEx specifically because I, I really learned a lot from FedEx and I, a lot of what I built at my company was learned from there. But they had a simple philosophy that came from the CEO, cascaded through the whole organization called PSP. And it stood for, stood for people, services, and profit. And their basic notion was if you treat your people well, they'll give great service to your customers and profit will follow. And they put them in that order, which is backwards in most companies. And then they had something specific for each of those buckets. And so the, the simple premise with people was treat everyone with dignity and respect. So when you join that organization, you immediately learn those values and that culture. And then when you say treat people with dignity and respect, that means every person. That's not just a specific type of person, every person. So I think the framework of building that into the foundation of your culture then can cascade, cascade down to some of the other things that we're talking about. And we can permeate the whole organization with that, that cultural philosophy and make sure that it's being embodied and embedded in every other part of the organization. So I love the notion of a framework and, and where I've seen it work best is when it's, it's, it's sort of starts at the top, but everybody that comes into the corporation embraces that value. And if they don't embrace the value, they're not there very long frankly. Yeah. So that, that's an, another sort of self-fulfilling thing. If, you, if you're not going to support treating people with dignity and respect, you're not going to last at that company for a, you know, a month, let alone a year. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I, I loved what um, Gabby said, and I just want to build off that a little bit. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's not about box ticking. There are no more box ticking. This you know, is they, about they empowerment about people. It. it was just kind of be a good human, right? And, and, they yeah. had, and because of that, they had great people that worked there who were super creative, very, very diverse organization and it helped yeah. that we we're an international organization. So we had people of every you know, race, nationality, et cetera. But it was that foundational tone that said, we're, we're going to be a PSP company and all the people that work here are going to be treated with dignity and respect, period, end of conversation. Yeah. 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 And, you know, to Gabby's point about it being overwhelming, it is overwhelming, but it doesn't need to be. And it can just start with a conversation. So Madison, um, this is one area where the company you work for, Fair Market, you know, has demonstrated their commitment, right? They've recently appointed you to belonging, inclusion, inclusion and culture. Um, you would definitely call that a right way to handle diversity. Um, and it's a clear statement of putting your money where your mouth is, right? So why don't, why don't we talk about this? Um, and, and you're doing so much great work there right? Is it the right way to handle diversity within the, with the model of hiring a chief diversity officer? You know, cause we're seeing some companies doing that fair market chose to go with belonging inclusion and culture. So talk to us a little bit about that. What does that look like? What does that, what has that journey looked like for you? The first thing I'll say is I think, you know, the right way is something that we're evaluating and inspecting day by day. Um, it's, 100% a journey for us. I think when I first accepted the position, it was certainly daunting because we're just coming off our series B. So when you think about, you know, early stage company, um, you don't often see people putting folks in kind of a, a DEI, any type of role at, at that stage. Um, 
But one of the comments I mentioned earlier, you know, it wasn't something that, you know, our CEO tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, do you want to, you know, do DEI today? It was something that happened very organically. There were a lot of conversations that took place last year, given all that was happening sociopolitically. I think for us, it first started with, okay, with the pandemic, everyone working from home, you've got everything that's happening outside converging with everything that everyone is inside. And so the example that I give is that when I hop onto a Zoom call at the beginning of a day, I don't get to put like my blackness on the coat rack over there. Like I'm showing up every day, regardless of what's happening outside and how it may or may not be impacting me. And I'm showing up to work, right? So all of that is now one. So then it begs the question, what are we going to do internally that says we're we're seeing everyone in all of their uniqueness and all of their glory and what does that journey look like so from that standpoint i think me stepping into this role is certainly a step in the right direction um we definitely have a lot of work to do but i think we've made tremendous strides when i think about the last six months from us building um, a team of people uniquely focused on this stuff to having me now kind of own and lead the work. Um, but for, for us, it's twofold. It's one top down and bottom up, which uh, Joselina alluded to earlier in, in our conversation, where I think it's everyone's responsibility to contribute to and own DEI. And for me, when I first started at Fair Market, I'll give an example. You know, when February came around, I was in everybody's face about Black History Month, right? And y'all are just going to know that this is what we're doing. And when June comes around, I'm going to be raving my wet rainbow everywhere, right? Because because I you, we also have to be accountable for showing up for ourselves and all the things that make us us. And that also drives awareness and uh, then ultimately advocacy, right? So it's top down, bottom up. I think everyone should own who they are and bringing that to the Slack channel or the Zooms or whatever else. Um, but that's how we're, we're starting to approach the work. I love that. And um, you're right. You know, too many times we hide behind some things and we're not necessarily all out there as to what actually is meaningful to us as an individual, no matter what that looks like. And I also think that that's an important part of other people getting to know us and getting to know us for who we are, getting to know us for what we like and what we don't like and what we celebrate and what we don't celebrate. And I think we need more of that, right? I think it's intentional. I think we have to be a lot more intentional. I, you know, growing up, in this career, there was a lot of times where I was put in a box or I was told not to do this or not to do that. And you can't do this. And you can't do that because for whatever reason it was, whether it was the boss's daughter, was it, whether it was because I was a woman, whether it was because I was Caucasian, you know, like there's so many different things there. And now I think we have the freedom to be ourselves. And for a lot of people, it is difficult because we've, there's a lot of us that have grown up in that space. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't be you. And if you're you, nobody's going to like you and da -da 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 -da. but that is thrown out the window now. And we have the freedom to be able to express ourselves and people are liking people because they like them, not because of forced traditions down our throat. And I think that that's something really important that we need to 
put out there is that be who you are. Post about the things that you're proud about. Post about the things that you want to celebrate because people are celebrating you and we're celebrating each other and we're getting used to celebrating ourselves, celebrating each other. And that is how we're going to make an impact in DEI. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but the intention of being yourself, putting yourself out there, having that voice, being respectful, right? We still need to be respectful, but being who we are and putting that out there. Thoughts? I know there's lots. Keisha was, nobody can see this because this is audio (laughs) only, but Keisha was snapping and jumping all over the place. That whole piece of allowing people to be who they are, Sarah, that is the best thing that you can do for anyone within your organization, allowing individuals to show up as their full selves and not just saying that because it's popular to say, but really allowing people to show up as their full selves. That's a game changer. I've been this voice on LinkedIn for years and I feel so empowered today as I show up with all of me. You see double Dutch, you'll see me doing double Dutch stuff for self-care, talking about how you show up and you're yourself. I'm skating, I'm dancing, I'm doing all sorts of things because I'm no longer turning down. Why am I minimizing who I am to appease someone who's not even sure of who they are. That's not my problem anymore. It's my duty to walk in my authentic lane and know that there is less traffic in my lane, period. My goodness, don't get me hyped up, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) That was totally my intention because I want to hear it. Right? Because the only way we're going to make an impact and we're going to change people, we're going to change organizations and we're going to change those conversations is to be that person and to show up and talk about these things. Joe Selena, I know you want to. And to be honest, this goes back, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but to break away from the fitability, right? So it's just until probably maybe 10 years ago when it's being celebrated to be authentic. So I echo everything that you guys have said because we have to be our authentic selves. And when we're actually looking at teams, we have to value the unique approach. The one thing that I will say with social media and with the the many different outlets out there, one thing that you have to be conscious of and to be um, strong with is that being your authentic self, not everybody's going to be jumping for joy to celebrate you. And that's okay, right? So I think it's also important to make sure that it's okay not to have group thinking or, you know, I, I always... I don't like consensus because I think consensus kill initiative, right? So I do think consensus, it's not necessarily always needed. So I think that it's good to agree to disagree and you can actually have alignment, which is different from consensus. So I guess the only point that I'm going to say in in closing is that being your authentic self and having the courage to do so also comes with embracing that there's going to be people who that may resonate with. And then there's also going to be people that may not. And guess what? That's equally okay. And you have to be able to, to deal with both aspects, right? Because it's just another perspective that doesn't necessarily define who you are or qualify your experience. It's just another point of view out there that you can either take or dismiss. Awesome. 
Madison, I, you're nodding your head over there. I know you want to jump in here. And if anybody is not following any of these guys, you need to go and follow them on LinkedIn. But Madison on LinkedIn, in the last year, you have showed up every day as your authentic self, talking about the different things that you celebrate. And you are a great example of that. I, I think it's the I think it's partly the fact that I am extremely introverted. So it's like I definitely have time today to get up here and type to y'all about some stuff and then go back into my corner. But I do I do think that even for the introverts in the room, 2020 was so ridiculous on so many different levels where it just requires that we show up. If if anyone listening cares an ounce about the elevation of the human condition, it, it doesn't matter what your um, natural proclivities are to either be over there or be in the mix. We, we just have to speak up. And so that's where, you know, my LinkedIn micro rants began because there's certain stuff that just needs to be said and I'm not playing with folks. That's how I'll summarize it. <laughs> you have the best profile ever, Madison. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. If you haven't seen her profile, please read it and them. please copy it. It's you better go connect. You yeah, better go connect. We got to talk, Madison. Yeah, yes, <laughs> we do. And we will. And I had no idea, Madison, the whole time when we were on Clubhouse, that you were the Madison that I follow on LinkedIn and that I'm connected to. Oh. I didn't even put it together until today. I I know I could tell it. I could tell when we first started speaking that you were connecting the dots still, but I keep a low profile. Except for when I have to get folks told about how they need to do better. Look at what's happening here. We are connecting people. I mean, this is what happens on Blendon, guys. All right. So we are going to wrap up. So what we're talking about today is right and wrong ways of handling diversity and inclusion. We have covered a lot in this episode. And I'm sure all of you out there have a piece of paper and a pen or maybe several pieces of paper because I know I have. Um, but I'd like to hear from each of you maybe a tangible takeaway from this conversation. If, if somebody was going to walk away from this conversation, what's the one thing that you would hope that they would walk away from this conversation with? So Gabby, I'm going to start with you and I'll end with Madison. Okay. So I think one of the most important things that we talked about today was around empowerment. Like, you know, for people to feel like they can do something, right? Uh, it is, it's, it's a long journey, it's hard work, but we can still all do something. So I think one thing that I, I would like to leave people with is we as workers, employees have designed our workplace the way that it is today. Right. And we also, as a new generations, as people with new ideas that are um, not happy with the status quo, can redesign the workplace and take that and, and do something with it in however way you can. Um, if it's not working, think about how do you redesign it so that it does work and take one, you know, it doesn't have, you're not going to be able to redesign maybe your whole organization, right? But there must be something within your sphere of influence that you can redesign and have and make an impact. True. Love that. Keisha. 
You're listen, 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 listen. I have a, a couple things. The first thing that I want to say is this pay women of color what they are worth, period. Quit asking people to come to the table, train your team, do consulting, and then say you don't have a budget. There's not a such thing as no budget. Do what you need to do to make sure that you're ingraining, integrating DEI into every facet of your organization. You can't start with these programs without looking at policy. Make sure that the foundation that you're standing on is an equitable foundation that really supports every single person and can develop talent because you can continue to hire people, but your turnover is going to constantly be through the roof. If you are not developing people that you get, get the mentors, get them connected, make sure that there's promotions, and you can then create that, that lens of loyalty. But everything that we need to do as organizations need to come from a lens of diversity of thought. And diversity of thought is everything that comes underneath diversity, religion, all those things that come with diversity. And here's another thing that I really wanna just put out. We celebrate all of these holidays on these calendars. And some of those days that are on these calendars are harmful. Columbus Day, if you are still celebrating Columbus Day as an organization, I implore you, do your research, do what you need to do as a company to make sure that you're understanding history because as companies understand history, what can then happen is then they can understand the atrocities and start to create a safe environment. People will not show up when it's not safe and you can't keep them that way. So to build teams, make sure that you're integrating diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'll throw in appreciation and belongingness on top of that as well. I know that's Love a lot, that. but I still got some more. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was perfect. And if you do want to hear more, make sure you connect with Keisha and she will let you know, but it's, it's an important thing to note. You know, like I said, we, we go about our day, we celebrate these holidays that we've traditionally celebrated and uh, we don't necessarily look into them and make sure that they resonate with everybody. So Rob, over to you, takeaways. Yeah, so four things. First, I just wanna start with a thank you. I've learned a lot by listening and participating in this group. So thanks to all of you. I've taken a lot of notes as Sarah said, I've got two pages here. Um, but three things I sort of wanna leave this with is my, my sort of recommendation Alice, is if you have the opportunity make diversity foundational it's really important that you do that and then it just becomes part of your dna you don't have to think about it or work backwards so just make it foundational and then the second sort of piece of advice that i, I that i always got personally and didn't deploy until much later in life is be kind you know so none of us knows what everybody showed up with today before they got to this podcast or what they're going to after we leave this podcast and so, you know, just try to be kind to people we're all different. We've all got different experiences and we're all in different stages every single day. So be kind. And then the last one is my favorite quote. And I think it applies here because I've heard a lot of courage on this podcast. And I love a quote from a author, a French author, I believe, Anis Nin, who said, life shrinks or expands in proportion to your courage. And I really believe that that's true. And I've just heard a lot of courageousness today about the way you talk and the way you think and keep going. Your life will certainly expand the more courageous you are. 
So that's my, my thoughts in closing, but thank you for uh, letting me participate. So this has been amazing. Oh, absolutely. And Rob, it's, it's, it's been my pleasure, not only for you, but everybody on this panel. I mean, this is the magic that happens on Blended. And until you come on the show and are a part of the magic or listen to it, you don't know what you're missing. Jocelyna, over to you. What would you like everybody to walk away from this conversation with? Well, thank you, Sarah, and thank you for everybody. It's been an absolute pleasure, honestly. Um, three things. Um, make Take action, right? So make a pledge. I, I do think that it's an everyday thing, and it doesn't have to be huge. So just start by creating a safe space with your team, have a conversation, and be comfortable and receptive to just listen, right, with empathy. I think leading with empathy is definitely going to be very powerful. And, and, and the other important aspect is to take accountability and also to have a self-reflection. If I haven't created the circumstances or the conditions in my organization, in my team, in my sphere of influence, that does not allow for people to thrive from who they are, then what can I do about it? And make a plan with them, right? So have those conversations and make the commitment. So that's why I say take a, make a pledge and, and actually speak often, why is this relevant? Why is it important to you? Why, why actually working with people from different backgrounds, right? So diversity of thought, it's actually something that is important. And, and if you haven't started, also apply it into every day in your life. Challenge yourself with who you have, who you surround yourself, who are your friends, who are the people that you collaborate with. And if you happen to be in a very homogeneous type of group, then expand. Go outside of your comfort zone and try to look for eclectic people. They're all around you, right? So just go and maybe try to incorporate that in your life. And you're going to see that you're going to have some spice, some sweetness, and also some additional fun. And by the way, you're going to learn 10,000 more. And, and the last but not least, um, just, just leave it in everywhere that you can, right? So just... I, I would say I would like to have like a teacher, right? So wearing it when I make my pledge next, if I participate in another one, we just have to wear our teachers to actually say, hey, here, <laughs> we're all believing diversity and inclusion. Maybe that needs to be part of the shop that I have over on the website. We're going to make some blended t-shirts. We're yes. going to have everybody who's included in that. And maybe, maybe we should put together a pledge. I am going to work on that because I think that we should definitely do that. And uh, I'll definitely be in touch for that. All right, let's do it. Madison, last but not least, what would you like everybody to walk away with today? For me, I'm presuming that, you know, leaders everywhere are at least at the place where like y'all are trying to do something. So my final thought is for everyone else at all other levels in the organization, which is just be unapologetically you. I think it's very important that we wake up each day and say, you know what, I'm I'm entering this space to bring the flavor to, to the sauce, so to speak. And it's important that I discuss my personal journey. It's important that I discuss or share the holidays that matter to me, the things that make me uniquely Madison or insert your name here, because that also drives a more inclusive culture from the bottom up, out and around. And so that's what I'd say to continue to keep this conversation going. 
Absolutely. I love that. I think for me, it's about resources, be the resource, give the resources, provide the resources, empower your teams, lean in to understand, not lean in to respond. Words matter. Words really do matter. If you're looking to empower people, we need to get around the words that are going to elicit empowerment and change and impact. So they absolutely do matter. Thank you so much to Robert, Jocelyna, Keisha, Gabby, and of course, my co-host Madison for joining me today. This was amazing because with a limited amount of time on the show, we do talk conceptually sometimes. We keep it high level so we can cover all the ground we want to. But in episodes like this, where we really dig into the practical side, they are just so much fun. And it's a great way to take advantage of all the invaluable insights our guests always have to share with us today. And of course, you guys did exactly that today. And I appreciate all of you for your courage, your authenticity, and uh, for coming on the show and sharing all of that with us. Thanks again to our sponsors, Ships, Apex, and Fair Market for helping to make the show happen. We really appreciate you and everything you do for the show. And remember to join us again next time for episode 10 of blended and more lively and important discussions around diversity and inclusion. Thank you guys for coming on the show.